Now here's what I want us to do to get started this morning. Um, I want to prepare you for a video clip that I'm about to show you. And here's what I want you to do. This uh, video clip was from just a couple days ago. It happened at a uh, baseball stadium. And uh, what I want you to do is not watch it for exactly what happens, but I want you to feel the emotions that this clip makes you feel. So we'll show you one time, then you'll feel the emotions, then uh, we're going to show you a second time. And what I want you to do is just talk to your neighbor around you, someone close to you, and just say, this is how this video makes me feel. Okay? Got it? So here's the video. Foul ball for her. Whoa, whoa. Wait, what, was that, what was that adult lady doing to that little gal? She took the ball. Juan Miranda tried to give it to the little gal. And she took it she from her. took it right from her. And that was oh, last that's Friday. That's beyond wrong. Oh, bless her heart. We sent a ball down, <laughs> one of our fine technicians. Okay, so think about how you feel for a moment. Okay, we'll show it one more time. Foul ball for her. Oh. Wait, what was that that adult lady doing to that little gal? She took the ball. Juan Miranda tried to give it to the little gal. And she took it from her. took it right from her. And that was last Friday. beyond wrong. Oh, bless her heart. We sent a ball down. Okay, so talk to your neighbor about how you feel. How does this video clip make you feel? Okay. Talk to me about uh, a little bit about how you feel. What are some of the thoughts that ran through your head as you saw the video clip? Shocked? Okay, how else did you feel? Ashamed? Mad? Judgment? Okay, okay, frustrated? What else? Could be me. Good. Any other thoughts or feelings? Yeah, surprised nobody said anything besides the commentators. The, the guy in the, in the stands high-fives the lady. <laughs> Way to go! As the, as the girl, like, walks up the stairs, like, just all distraught. Now, I believe they did end up giving her a baseball later to, uh, to kind of make up for the event that happened. But um, it, it should make you feel a little bit like all of the people felt in Acts chapter 6. If you have your Bible, turn there. Because, see, there's this interesting story that happens in Acts chapter 6 where a group of people feel like the widows under their care are getting ripped off. They just got the ball stolen from them. The thing that they were supposed to have provided by the church gets taken away. And then another group of people that feel like everything's going really well for them and they're high-fiving, right? And in the middle, you have this story. It looks like this in Acts chapter 6. It says this, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the things that they were supposed to get, whether it was care, whether it was food, whether it was supplies, whatever it was, was being neglected. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and then several other guys whose names I cannot pronounce. And they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of the Lord continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay? 
Now, it's an interesting passage. has lots of different layers to it. There's a section about widows being neglected. There's a section about what the apostles or the disciples felt was their responsibility and then what the church would see as their responsibility. There's a section at the end that highlights the amazing things that were happening. The word was spreading. Great multitude of people were coming to know Jesus. So there was this great movement that was taking place in the church. So my question to you this morning to start off is this. How have you heard this passage taught in the past? What are some ways that we could kind of teach this passage? Because as you know, anytime you approach a passage of Scripture, there's multiple, there's one kind of basic idea, but multiple angles you could take in teaching or communicating the passage. So how have you heard this taught before? I'm assuming you've heard Acts 6, 1 through 7 taught. Maybe I should start there. How many of you have heard 6, Acts 6, 1 through 7 taught? Great, so about 15. Okay. Um, so for the 15 of you, maybe you could weigh in on this. But the rest of us, if you're looking at it, what are, some, what are some of the things that could be highlighted? If you had to share this passage with someone, what would you highlight? Great. Okay, so how to handle disputes in the church. That's definitely, many people have taught on that kind of angle to this passage before. That what you do is you admit that the problem exists. You can create a whole sermon. I'll do one really quick. Uh, don't blame anyone, but work together. Figure out how to create a win-win situation for everybody. Pray together, and then great things happen. See verse 7, great things happen when you figure out how to work together. Okay? How else would you teach this particular passage? Or could you? Okay, great. How to delegate tasks. Different people have different responsibilities or different skills. Some people are responsible to do more of one thing, whether it's teaching or prayer or speaking, than other people are maybe needed to be committed to a different task within the church. Good. How else? Yeah. Okay. Good. How the church is supposed to actually be concerned for the widows, for justice, that it's our responsibility as the church to actually meet the needs in the community, to meet the needs of those that lack, and not just leave that to the government to provide or leave that to other uh, nonprofit organizations to take care of, but it's actually the responsibility of the church. That's absolutely another angle we could take. Any others you'd care to mention? We could also look at it through this lens. How is it that leaders are chosen within the church? So you come to this crux point in the church, and we make the statement that uh, they chose people to care for the widows in this particular need, right? So they could have chosen people with great administrative skills, great ability to oversee situations, the ability to help manage people, but instead they started their criteria with full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Someone who knew the word, knew how to live. And then it was like, hey, if they're administrative, great, that'll, that'll be a bonus. But starting with the qualities of character rather than the qualities of ability. Any other thoughts? I'll give you one more and then we'll jump in. Yeah, great. Great. Cultural diversity within the church. We could ask in America, why isn't there any at times, right? Why, why do we tend to kind of birds of a feather flock together? Um, but also, how do you get, enter into a context where you're different than the culture around you and still impact that culture? We can talk about it from many different angles. There's obviously an angle in this text that if you live in unity together as a body of Christ then great things happen. See, right now, one of the interesting things about this passage 
is very clearly, if this would have happened, this is me being sarcastic for a moment, if this would have happened in America, at this moment in time, we would have just established first church of God and second church of God, right? That's what we'd do. We'd just go, well, hey, yeah, you guys, you feel frustrated? Why don't you start something? And we'll just keep doing our thing, right? And so often, we don't see the importance of unity that actually moves the church forward. The angle I want to take today is a little bit different, and that is to look at the phrase or look at the idea of what is the role of those in leadership in the church and what is the role of those within the body in the church. Because there's this real interesting statement made in chapter 6. If you want to look at it with me, it says this. Um, It is not right, the apostles say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Okay? We should devote ourselves to the ministry and to the word while you take care of all of the widows, take care of the poor, take care of the needs. We're going to do this, you do that, right? Now, for some of us, that strikes us and we go, yeah, that makes a total, a lot of sense, right? And then others of us go, well, isn't like the core of faith to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, James chapter 1? Isn't that part of what it means to have a pure religion? So why is it that they take one responsibility and then other people take another responsibility? And I think in many ways, the tension lies with what is the role of those on staff or the role of a pastor or a role of clergy and what is the role of people or the laity? You've probably heard those terms before, right? Clergy and laity. The reason I bring them up is because I think one of the things that has kind of captured our culture is an improper concept of the church. And I think part of the improper concept of the church flows out of this passage. Because we've started to delineate roles in a way that I don't know is the way that God intended. All right? So here's what I want us to do this morning. Look at clergy and and laity. All right? So here's the first question for you. What is the role of the clergy, or how are clergy different than laity? Now, laity means lay people, okay? And we'll explain that further in a moment. But what is the role of the clergy, or how would most people define that role? And what is the difference between clergy, ministers, pastors, priests, and laity, the people? What are your thoughts? What do they do? What's different? Anything. Their education, okay? What else? The collar they wear. I don't have one on this morning, but... What else? Okay, availability. Spiritual leadership. Okay, clergy's income comes from the laity. Okay, spiritual followership. Is that what you said? Okay. Any other thoughts? Typically when I ask that question, I get there like, well, they give communion. Do weddings. They dunk people in water sometimes. Um, And then many of the things that you mentioned. Well, now here's my question on what are lay people. To make it a little easier for you, what I did is uh, I've got a little quiz. There's going to be four definitions up there. And what I want you to do is read through them, talk to your neighbor, and tell me what definition you think is the best definition. Okay? And that's definitely up for debate. All right? Best definition, I'll read the for you. Members of the people of God, so lay people, are members of the people of God called to a total ministry of witness and service in the world, 
or lay members are those who are ministered to by the clergy who are the true church. Or three, there are people in part-time Christian service. Or four, lay members or laity are non-ordained Christians whose function is to help the clergy do the work of the ministry. Okay? So talk to your neighbor. Which one of those four is actually the most accurate? Okay? <clears throat> now before I, before I give you what I believe to be the correct answer, before I give that to you, let me uh, say that the way we see the role of the clergy and the way we see the definition of laity really changes the way we actually live out the church. It changes the way we work together as a community or the way we embody what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, when we talk about lay, laity, or talk about clergy, a lot of times we talk about laity in terms of what you're not. Okay, so let me give you a couple examples, then we'll come back to this slide. John, the next slide. Um, here's, here are some of the things that we say you're not. We define it by function. So we say lay people do not administer the word and the sacraments, where clergy do. We say that it's by status. Most of you don't have the title reverend or pastor or anything called by that. Uh, by the way, don't call us that. We hate that. Um, next, education. Usually not theologically trained. There are a lot of people within the congregation that are theologically trained at various levels. So it's not always the case. Then uh, it comes to money. Typically we define laity as those not being paid and clergy as those being paid. And then last but not least, by lifestyle, there's a tendency within the church to describe what people in the church do as more religious and what people outside of the church are doing as like secular work. Uh, again, we don't buy into just about any of these. But you get the idea. This is typically how the church defines the roles. So going back to that other slide, how many of you think number four? We'll just get straight to it. How many of you think number four? Okay, Okay. we'll go backwards then. How many I think number three? Number two? Number one. Look at that. Very good. Number one it is. Now number four is kind of a trick question. And the reason it's kind of a trick question or a trick statement is because it is obviously non-ordained Christians, or typically. But this is one of the keys to the point we'll make a little bit later on, whose function is to help the clergy do the work of the ministry. See, really... It's the other way around. It's the clergy's job to help the people do the work of the ministry. And so what we begin to see is that we've had it backwards for quite some time. And it's because what we've done is created a divide. Let's look at this picture here for a moment. What we've done in uh, Christendom is create what I would say is a bit of a hierarchy. What we've started to say is that clergy have a particular role and then the people just kind of do whatever else is left over. And this started with Christendom. This started when the church became established, when it became part of the state for us to be able to go, okay, they have a role and they, you, don't have a role. And we would create this division. And what we've done is we've lived into that for quite some time. We've created more of a pastor or priest-centered model. So in the Roman Catholic Church, it might look like this, where what you have is, you probably can't read it, but you have the Pope at the top in purple, then you have cardinals, archbishops, bishops, priests, deacons, and then the people. In the New Testament church, it would have looked more like this. Apostles at the top, then elders and pastors, 
then deacons, which we begin to hear about in Acts 6, and then lay people are members, and then those outside of the church would not even be considered good enough to get yet onto the, the hierarchy, right? Because we create these weird, non, in my opinion, biblical, hierarchical systems. They're all systems that we've kind of come up with, but not really a true understanding of the New Testament. So the New Testament kind of approaches it a, a different way. One of the interesting things about the New Testament is that all of the writers write in a very clear way about how the church is supposed to look. Now, in Greek, there's three words for laity. I know many of you come in this morning were like, man, I can't wait for my Greek lesson, right? So there's three general words that were used to describe laity. The first one would be this, meaning belonging to the common people, all right? Belonging to the common people. Here's an interesting thing about this word for laity. Is never used at all in the entire New Testament. So scratch that use of laity because it wasn't used. Okay? The first time it was actually used was by Clement of Rome, several, quite a few years later, describing back to the church and what the Christians were like. He described them as common people. Okay, the second word, I love this one, this is my favorite Greek word. Um, it means layperson in contrast to an expert or a specialist. It's where we get the word idiot, okay? So you have this second Greek word, which basically means idiot, and the New Testament writers never, ever, ever spoke of a Christian with this word for laity. Never. There's only two times that it's used in the New Testament at all. The first time, and this is why I bring it up, is it was used in Acts chapter 4. We looked at it a few weeks ago. When the unbelievers were calling the believers, unschooled, ordinary, or idiots. They're like, who are these idiots? They're changing the world, okay? That's how it was referred to once. And then in 1 Corinthians, I think somewhere, there's another passage where it's referring to someone outside of the church. So it's never used to describe anyone within the church. And then the last word is actually the word that means the people. And it's the only time that it's used to describe the church, and it describes it as the people, now, some of you are going, okay, what, what is the point? Well, let me give you Carl uh, Barth's point to this. He says this, The term laity is one of the worst in the vocabulary of religion and ought to be banished from Christian conversation. Now, why does he say that? I'm going to give you the reason. Because there is only one people, the people of God. Period. So here would be a, maybe a better picture or model of the way it is supposed to look. That we are all together the people. There's no special designation. There's no uh, rite of passage. There's no hierarchy. That we together are the people. And then out of the people, at times, God or the church together, with the influence of the Spirit, says we choose certain people to lead certain roles or to perform certain tasks within the body of Christ. Because leadership structures and leadership positions emerged for the sake of mission. They didn't merge for the sake of power or for creating clean lines of rule or reign. They were there simply because the mission needed to further. So how do we do that in a way that makes sense? That's where it began. So the bottom line of this is this. We are a people with no laity. 
The church is a people with no laity, and we are a people with no clergy. We are a people together. That's the New Testament understanding of what the church is supposed to look like. So then the question becomes, so what? So we talked about this. We kind of highlighted the fact that there is no laity, that there is no clergy in terms of hierarchy, that we are all together the people and that we all have different roles to fill. So what's the takeaway? What's the so what? I'm going to give three groups two takeaways each. And we'll go through them very quickly. Okay? First one is this. For leaders within the community, if you're a leader within the community, and many of you, many of you are, whether it's a small group leader, whether it's leading kids' stuff in the back, whether, I mean, intern, the list goes on and on. If you are a leader in any capacity within this community, here's the first thing. It's embody the mission. It's embody the mission. That we are called to live out the mission of Jesus Christ. We talk about that a lot here, but just to give you a quick reminder, the very thing that Jesus was sent here for was spelled out very clearly. He was sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was sent to proclaim good news. He was sent to enact good news or to live it out, and then he was sent to form a community that lives out or demonstrates the good news. And he says to us, as his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so even I am sending you. So the answer to embodying the mission is very simply this, that we are to be the bearers of good news. In the power of the Spirit, we're supposed to live out and enact that good news, that we're to embody the mission of Jesus Christ, that we're to make disciples, that every one of us that is called into leadership, that every one of us here, actually, is supposed to make disciples. See, what the church needs today, what our community needs, what every community in this city needs, is people who are committed to the idea of the mission of Jesus Christ. To lead, to walk with, to be a part of. Maybe the easiest illustration or picture would be a pace setter. I don't know if many of you are into running or into track and field, but sometimes they'll send someone out running with you to set the pace that you're supposed to follow. See, leaders aren't the coach just standing on the sideline going, hey, run another lap, all right? They're the people that are running with you trying to set the pace, trying to say, hey, come, come with me. Let's keep doing this. Let's be in it together. Let's embody the mission. The second thing that I think for leaders that you have to live lives, we all have to, that can be mimic. Live lives that can be mimic. There's a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Then in Hebrews it says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you of the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The, the point here is this, live lives that can be mimicked. Live lives that demonstrate what it means to be a kingdom person. We talk here often about the seven values. What, what kind of person can we be if we live with generosity and with hospitality and with learning and contemplation and, and we become the people that embody what it means to follow Jesus and our lives 
then bear witness to what Jesus is doing through us. This is not a uh, more effort, more striving. This is a be who God has created you to be. Live into what He's doing in you. And as we do that, our lives become lives that can be mimicked. So for the leaders, for the leaders, live the mission, embody it, and allow your lives to be mimicked, to be copied. For the staff, okay, so we're specifically talking to um, just the staff of New Community at this moment. Here are a couple things that we wanted to make sure all of you knew that you should hold us to, okay? First is this, to recognize the clear leadership of the church. What I mean by that is this, if you ask any of us who the head of the church is, we will answer with the head of the church, and that is Christ. That he's the source. That he always is and he always will be. That the only one that deserves any credit and the only one that leads this church is Jesus. That our responsibility on staff and your responsibility as well is to be people who listen to his leadership. Who want so badly to follow where he's taking us. It's his vision, his leading, his direction, and it's us saying, God, we're following. I mean, it's the very thing all of us are called to. It's the very thing he said from the very beginning when he came to the disciples and he said what? Follow me. He didn't say, hey, I need you to get out and cast a vision. I need you to lead. I need you. He said, follow me. I've got this. So first and foremost, as the staff, we must know our leader, and our leader is Jesus Christ, that he receives the glory, he receives the honor, and we follow. Second thing is we... I believe, are supposed to know our role within the body. Here's where Acts 6 kind of uh, just plays with things a little bit. In Acts 6, what's interesting is we, I think, have taken a moment in time and have tried to make that universal for all of how pastors or clergy or leaders or staff should operate within the church. What I mean by that is the very specific point in time when there were only a few people who had witnessed Jesus' life. There were only a few people that walked with him, talked with him, saw his miracles. And those people at that moment in time when the organism of the church grew so big, they're going, man, we can't do everything. What are we supposed to do? And it became clear to them, we should pray and we should begin to continue to teach about the gospel because we were the first witnesses to the life of Jesus. Now, are those things still important for today? Yes, but I think there's a higher, more universal calling to the role of staff or of pastors within the church, and that is simply this. In Ephesians, it talks about it in chapter 4, verse 12. It's to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Our responsibility as staff, and the thing that you should hold us to, is to be equippers, trainers, coaches, teachers. Not paid purveyors of programs, but people who are equipping and preparing and walking alongside of and leading and encouraging. So here's a quick quote. Everyday mission requires everyday missionaries rather than superheroes of the faith. We need to recapture the sense that gospel ministry is not something done by pastors 
with the support of ordinary Christians, but something done by ordinary Christians with the support of pastors. See, our responsibility is to equip and encourage and walk alongside of all of us. So what does that look like here? Let me give you a couple examples. What that means for us on staff, and this is something that the elders told us to, is that what happens during the middle of the week, as is important or maybe more important than what happens on Sunday. So quite often, in conversations with the elders, they rarely ask about what happens Sunday morning, about what how much time I spent in preparing or how much time any of us talked about the weekend or or what was happening on this day. They're asking questions about who are the leaders that we're meeting with? How are groups being formed? How is mission happening in the city? What are we seeing God do and how is he moving among us as a people? Because what happens during the week is just as important, if not more important, than what happens just on Sunday. Here's another truth or reality. And that is this, we want and desire and need for you to share your visions and dreams with us. Here's why we believe this. The Spirit of God is in each of you that calls on Him as your Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God is within you and you speak to the Spirit and He speaks to you. And right now, within many of you, the Spirit of God is growing a passion in you that needs to be unleashed. Our responsibility on staff isn't to come up with or dream of the next thing that we hope people will jump on board of and do. Our job on staff is to figure out where is it that God is stirring, who is it that he's stirring, walk alongside them and say, how do we help? How do we fund it? How do we encourage it? How do we help you strategize for it? How do we coach you into it? What can we do to see that vision that God has put in you become reality. That's what we believe we're called to. Because we're designed and created and wanting and desiring to equip and encourage in the way we lead. I could go on for a few more, but for the sake of time, let me shift to everyone else. Okay? So for the leaders, there were two things. For the staff, two things. And then for everyone, all of us included, two things. Number one, you are the priest. So there's this interesting teaching, and Peter is the one that does it. He says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's where we get this idea that all of us have been called to be priests. That all of us are called to be people who go and spend time with God. That we have interaction with the Spirit, that the Spirit lives within us. That we can actually, I remember growing up, one of the things that always frustrated me I I would go, and sometimes I would sit in a service, and it would be like a revival speaker, and he would come, and it would be one of those moments where, and maybe you've heard this before, he would say, I was was in the other room, and I was speaking with God, and it was almost like he described himself like Moses, where he went up to the top of the mountain, and he had this divine interaction with God. He came down with Ten Commandments, and he wanted to tell us what the Ten Commandments were, right? And I always remember thinking to myself, well, I can go up the same mountain you can, Right? We all can. We can all walk into whatever room he walked into and have this deep, connected relationship with God. Why? Because we're all priests. Why? Because we've been all called to lead and minister in that way. And so all of us across the board have been empowered 
to minister. We've all been equipped to minister. The beauty of that is, because you relate to God, because you can study His Word, because that you don't rely on me to feed you. There's no need for that, because you have this relationship with God. You don't have to rely on the staff or the elders, anyone to cast vision for how to live in the day-to-day. Why? Because you know what you're called to. You know what the Scriptures teach. And then last but not least, use your gifts and resources in the community. Use your gifts and resources in the community. I think all of us are called to that. There's this teaching about the body of Christ, that the body is made up to function when everybody participates. And the moment a part of the body doesn't function, the rest of the body knows. The rest of the body feels it. It might not know why. It might not know why there's this pain, this hurt, this thing that seems to be lacking, but it's because all of us are called to contribute. All of us are called to invest, to disciple, to, to, to speak into, to teach, to encourage this body. And we believe that so much on staff that there's a rule for all of us on staff that we contribute service or volunteerism to the church outside of any pay. So we get paid for certain tasks or roles, but there's also a part of us that everything, there's something we do within the community, whether it's teaching in the back, whether it's in nursery, whether it's running group, that we do not get paid for. Because we believe the calling of all of us is to serve the community. Obviously, we could go on and on, and there's a host of other things to talk about in this idea, but the point I wanted to drive home was this, that we together are the people, all one, all whole, and leadership flows from him, us. Let's pray.